prayer. Oh God, our King, we come now to you as we read and I preach your word. We ask for wisdom. We ask for holiness. We ask for understanding. Your word is truth, Lord. Please sanctify us therein and feed our very souls as we contemplate what you would have for us this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from Ephesians 5, verses um, 15 through 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to be, us to begin today by thinking for a little bit about David and Solomon. Now, when we think about Solomon, he had a very hard road to walk as he became the king of Israel, as he became the third king. He had some amazingly large boots to fill. Remember, David was his father. David is his father. And David was a mighty man of faith. David was well-known in ancient Israel. He's a very famous and illustrious figure in world history. And at that time, he must have been a larger-than-life figure to the people of Israel. When David ascended the throne, when David became the second king of Israel, he had decidedly smaller shoes to fill. He, David had an easier transition from regular Israelitehood to kingship than Solomon did. Do you recall who David followed? He followed Saul, who was a disaster pretty much from the start. So when David ascended the throne, after the anarchy of the period under the judges, and after all the disasters that Saul brought upon the nation, the people must have sighed a sigh of great relief when David was coronated king. You could almost hear them saying, finally, finally, we have someone here with a viable track record. Finally, we have a mensch, we have a man on the throne. Saul is gone, the judges are gone, here is David. Here was David. When David arrived as second king, he had a viable track record. He was a battle-hardened man of God. And all of the people would have known his mighty exploits, and they would have known all of the foolishness and foibles that Saul had given to the nation, bequeathed to the nation. David was famous. You might recall that even before David was famous, when he was just one of... Saul's aide-de-camp. He was well-known for his mighty exploits. He was so well-known for his exploits that Saul, while Saul was king, was jealous of David. That's what really started the rift between Saul and David. That Saul was insanely jealous of David, utterly insanely jealous of David, but it was without merit because David was utterly loyal to Saul. However... 
by the time Solomon comes to the throne, by the time it's Solomon's turn to take that throne and that crown, David's sins would have been very well known to the people as well. His sins would have been known to the people as well. You recall what they were. David began well, but he ended as a kingly failure. He had failed as a king and a general. How? By shirking his frontline duties as a general, and by openly and publicly sinning with Bathsheba in violation of God's law. He had failed as a friend and a man. How? By having her husband put to death in what could effectively be called a war crime. And of course, by impregnating that man's wife. And he failed as a father. Miserably so. How? The evidence for that is in all of the sordid details between Amnon and Absalom, two half-brothers who were David's sons. Horrible things that occurred in David's kingdom. All types of debauchery, murder, intrigue that's worthy of Washington, D.C. or Shakespeare, really. None of this kind of stuff is new. And don't forget this juicy little tidbit. Bathsheba, Bathsheba was David's mom. Not David's mom. That would be interesting. Solomon's mother. Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. And the best way to describe Bathsheba at that time, her, her reputation must have preceded her as well. You can classify her as the most infamous adulteress in the history of ancient Israel. Not until Jezebel came around would a woman have been so ill thought of. So when Solomon comes to the throne, he has a lot of pressure on him. A lot of pressure. And he shows wisdom when God encounters him. And he asks God for further wisdom. And that's what we must do. We don't have the pressures that Solomon faced. But we have pressures in our life. We have trials in our life. We have occasions when we will sin. And we constantly need to be chasing after godly wisdom because it's the only way that we can survive. Now please hear this occasion when Solomon asked for God's wisdom. In 1 Kings 3. At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Now Solomon says this, And now, O Lord, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count their number. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, you are great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches of life, or your enemies, 
but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I will now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Well, for a time, Solomon certainly utilized that godly wisdom, just as uh, you know, God had declared to him here, like no man ever before him, nor anyone after him, the wisest man that ever lived. Now, the high marks of Solomon's wisdom are, um, well, they're very famous, aren't they? Really can't beat them. He's in a position of high honor. He gets to build God's temple. And he gets off to a really, really fast start. And he gets off to a great start. It's easy to get off to a fast start. Some of us have what's called the, what I call the plague of being a fast starter. Like a racehorse that jumps out of the gate very quickly, but come around the home stretch, you kind of run out of wind. Kind of run out of wind. That's what happened to Solomon. He started out very well. He started out as a wise king, but we all know all too well how he failed miserably as a king, how he failed as a man, as he failed as a father, because his son after him was not exactly the brightest bulb on top of the Christmas tree. Solomon wrecked his life even though God had appeared to him. Solomon wrecked his life because he, for, he forsook the wisdom that God had granted to him. So the question I have to ask of us, even though I, God has never appeared to any of us personally like that, but we have been given the mind of Christ. We have been given wisdom from on high. So I have to ask, how is our life going as a church and how are our lives going as individual people and as families? Is wisdom high up on your list? Or are riches high up on your list? Is wisdom high up on your list? Or is a, a good name up high on your list? Is wisdom high on your list? Or is something else in place of it? And I urge you today to think about that. Because godly wisdom is the only way we can navigate the craziness of this world. And the only place we can find godly wisdom is in the book. Is in his word. You will not find it peering into your own mind. Solomon went outward to find his wisdom. We need to do the same thing. Solomon would have read the book of Numbers. He would have read the book of Judges. He would have read Exodus. And he would have known how crazy the ancient Israelites were. How fickle they were. How rebellious they were. We need to read backwards the story of our lives and realize how fickle we are. And how rebellious we are. And how stubborn-headed and pig-headed we can really be. How stiff-necked we can be. We need to confess our sins, repent of them, and then forge ahead in godly wisdom. But you won't find wisdom unless you look for it. The book of Proverbs tells us to, to seek wisdom as if it's choice gold. Most of us don't have any problem looking for gold or silver, better paying job, etc., etc., etc. But very few of us are intentionally seeking God's wisdom. Very few of us are intentionally seeking to be known as wise people in this world. Does our country need wise people? Does the world need wise people? Yes, not wise guys, not wise acres. Okay? 
Not wise mouths. Not smart Alex. Needs wisdom. And wisdom is here for the taking. Now Paul tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Remember, we talked about that last week. Now remember, Paul, like David, understood the need for God's grace. Because Paul, when he was Saul, was complicit in murder, just like David was. Paul had oppressed the church. He had been part and parcel of of, of the murder of Christians. So his reputation was far and wide known as well. When Saul got converted and then began preaching, the churches thought he was an ancient provocateur. And they thought, "Mm, no, 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 no. You've been killing people. You want to come to church with us just so you can spy and take us out. And that reputation Paul never lived down. So Paul understood the need for godly wisdom. When you think of Paul's task, having to be the apostle to the Gentiles, venturing into now what was modern-day Turkey, and venturing as far as Rome, getting into Europe, getting into Greece and Macedonia, to get that far, we have evidence that he even got to Spain. Paul didn't have big shoes to fill, because nobody had ever done what he had done. Nobody had ever evangelized as far and wide as he had. He knew that he needed godly wisdom. And we need godly wisdom as well, even though we're not called necessarily to walk to the four corners of the earth preaching the gospel. Now the context of this entire passage is that we're to be looking for wisdom. And remember, in verse 15, it tells us to walk circumspectly. This means to find out the exact measurement of where we need to walk. It's almost as if you're, you're watching each step where to go. Trying to figure out exactly what's, what's, what's ahead. And to be alert, to have a mind to consider all of the possible consequences, whether they be positive or negative, in our life. At every moment of every day. Now, if you do that, you will be wise. And if you do that, you will be exhausted. And you will need God's wisdom to replenish your soul. We need each other, and that's what this passage is also going to get to. It tells us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. It is easy to live as a fool. It's easy to be the clown. The world needs no more fools. The world needs no more clowns. Frankly, our culture has almost become buffoons are us. That's what we see in our public life. That's what we see in our church lives. That's what we see in entertainment. Buffoons everywhere. Clowns everywhere. Where are the serious people? Where are the wise people? You won't find them in Hollywood. You won't, uh, sadly, at this moment, I don't think you really find them in Washington, D.C. They have to find them here at 116 Church Road. You have to find them in small churches throughout the country. That's where wisdom is found. Because we have the mind of Christ, because we are the people of God, because we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But what's happened is people, especially young people, are looking outside of the church for their role models. And adults, what we need to do is we need to be willing to pay the price to become the type of people that every young person says they have what they don't have. They have what these stars don't have. 
They have peace of mind. They have wisdom. These are kind people. These are just people. These are holy people. These are not clowns. These are not buffoons. These are not fools. The only way one gets to be, well, one of the primary ways one becomes an expert in something is to find people who are already experts in that field and then you hang around them and you know what you do? You just imitate them. You just imitate them. You watch someone, you say, well, they're doing the job fine. You know, they're, they're, they're progressing in the field. Maybe I'll do what they do for a, cha- for a change instead of what I think I should do. And maybe I'll have the same type of providence. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe your personality is different. But it doesn't make any sense to imitate the losers of this world. You imitate those who win. And when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is known by her children. Wisdom isn't found in gold. Wisdom isn't found in silver. Wisdom is found in the mind of God. And it's evidenced by a holy and godly life making wise decisions, exact decisions, based upon the biblical evidence. Wisdom is a good quality for someone who's been entrusted with great responsibility, and you've been entrusted with immense responsibilities. Even you young people, you grammar school age kids that are in second, third, and fourth grade, you've been entrusted with amazing responsibilities. You know what it is? Your life. Nobody will answer for your life on Judgment Day. But you, and you alone. God has entrusted to each one of us a life. Those of us who are parents, those of us who are examples to young people, um, at this moment, the young people's lives, parents, you know that your your children's lives have been entrusted to you for the time being. Ruling elders, deacons, um, the entire church has been entrusted to our care. So the higher you go up in the hierarchy, so to speak, the greater the responsibility. We need to be imparting wisdom to the next generation, and the next generation is responsible for taking it. But if we don't give it, then they can't take it. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Each of us acts like a fool from time to time. But Paul isn't discussing that. Paul is discussing foolishness as a way of life. He is discussing foolishness as the basic tenor of our life. He's discussing foolishness as if it is the key that all of the songs in our life are sung in. You're going to act like a fool sometime. You're going to sin. Anytime you sin, you're automatically convicting yourself as a fool. It's silly to sin. It's, that's really, let me just say it. It's dumb to sin. There's no upside in it at any time. So we'll all play the fool. That sounds like a song from my childhood. It is a song from my childhood. Those of you who are my age, I know that you can hear the song in your head right now. Everybody plays the fool sometime. The catch is, is that it's easy to play the fool. It's hard to be wise. Or is it? Is it? You have the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. 
You have the Bible. Let me ask you this real, real seriously. What else do you need? What else do you want? The mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. And an imperfect preacher who tries every week to give you the basics. Uh, and you have um, all types of Christian media that you have access to. And what's sad is even when it comes to Christian preachers, you have to be wise. You have to be judicious in what you listen to, what you hear. What else do you need? What else do you want? Are you improving in wisdom? Do you want to improve in wisdom? James tells us that if we ask God for wisdom, He will give it to us. We're not promised anywhere that if we ask for gold, that He'll give it to us. We are promised that if we ask for wisdom, He will give it to us. Let me ask you, have you ever asked God for wisdom? Have you ever asked God to to make you a wise person? Not just to make a wise decision, but to to have wisdom in you. To be a wise person, to be a discerning person, to make good choices. Boy, isn't that a talent. Choice making. That should be a subject in school. Decision making 101. And you take it every single year. You can be a mathematical whiz. You can know five languages. But if you don't know how to make wise, practical decisions in your day-to-day spiritual life, then it really won't matter if you can speak Russian and French. It really won't. It won't matter if you, if you know all of the theorems and algorithms, if you don't know how to make a wise choice in your spiritual life. Many, many smart people are not wise, and you see it in their lives. They wreck it, they shipwreck it, and they run it into the ground. As a pastor, it's heartbreaking when that happens to someone who is under my care. And one of the primary ways that people wreck their lives is to get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, or you can translate it as debauchery. This counts for drugs, too. Even pagans know that drunkenness and druggedness is foolishness. There was a, an ancient Greek rhetorician, a teacher of public speaking, taught lawyers how to argue in court, named Isocrates, not Socrates. And in one of his writings, he told a party of his, not to get a pupil of his, not to get drunk at parties. Why? Because when the mind is impaired by wine, it is like chariots that have lost their drivers. Same goes for drugs in our day, same goes for wine, beer, alcohol in our day. Drugs and drunkenness are beyond foolish. To become a drug addict, become a drunk, is to slowly commit suicide. And that is the height of foolishness. God demands that we, listen to me very carefully, God demands from this passage that we not get involved in riotous parties where obscene joking, double entendre, sexual innuendo, drugs, drinking, are par for the course. Not allowed to partake of them. We shouldn't even want to. But we live in a world that is saturated with this type of stuff. We live in a world that is saturated with this. And you know what? So did the Ephesians. There's a reason why Paul is writing to them about this. 
drunkenness is the negative command. The positive command is to be filled with the Spirit. You see, it's not enough to just say, I'm sober. It's not enough for a Christian. You have to be filled with the Spirit. What this means is to be in contact with the Spirit through your mind. To be living in the realm of the Spirit. When you walk into one of these riotous uh, drinking parties, the atmosphere will either attract you or repel you. It will either attract you or repel you. If you walk into one of these parties and you feel at home, my friend, that's a good time to walk out and call your pastor. If you feel at home where people are getting drunk and doing drugs, then you need to call me as soon as possible. I don't care if it's 2 a.m. Okay? I had that joke, you know, don't call me between 12 and 6 unless it's death, disease, and dismemberment. Let's add a couple of D's. Drugs and drunkenness to them as well. If those are around, you call me. You walk into one of these parties, young people, and you should just say, this is not me. This is disgusting. I am out of here. Mark Schnell. Nothing good happens at these parties. That's not enough for a Christian. We're to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. To live in the realm of the Spirit. And this is found out in our corporate lives because it continues. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is talking about public worship. But it's also talking about whenever Christians gather together. You see, there's a, con- there's a contrast here, an implied contrast between these secular, sinful, debauched, drinking parties. Now, Paul wasn't talking about drugs, but I'm throwing them in for our, our modern context because drunkenness and drugs, they're two evil twins. Oh, they're two evil brothers. They're two evil, nasty things. And when I was a social worker, I saw so many, so many promising young men just absolutely wreck their lives through drugs and drinking. Just absolutely shipwrecked their lives when they, could have, when they could have had so much more. Seeing them die, literally. That's a horrible thing to watch a young person totally destroy their lives. I once saw a man with like a 130, 135 IQ, really bright kid. Real personable. He was handsome. He just had everything going for him except his background. It's the only thing he didn't have going for him. And he couldn't say no to it. He didn't say no. He said yes to death. Totally wrecked him. Totally ruined his life. It's a horrible, horrifying thing to watch. Listen, whenever Christians are gathered together, if it's at a restaurant, a coffee house, in your home, the atmosphere is to be drenched with the Spirit. You see, when people come into your home, it's your turn to host the family. The atmosphere should be so opposite of what the world is that those who are used to the world feel as if they're in a foreign country. Now, we expect that to be in church, right? Everybody's behaving themselves now. But I, I say this a lot. What happens you know, when the bell rings? 
after church. I urge you to pay attention to your conversations after church. It's very quick to move from not necessarily drunken riotousness, but what I call um, dry drunkenness. Okay? There are plenty of people who don't drink alcohol, but they almost act as if they are. Now, there's some people who can get so drunk and, and, and so drugged out that they can't stand up. A Christian is to be so filled with the Spirit that they can't fathom falling down. They can't fathom stumbling. We live in a world that's saturated with this garbage. And it's interesting that we're told to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's something very powerful about godly music. There's something powerful about music in general. Almost every one of us has like a favorite song or songs or music that truly moves us. When we gather together and we sing, yes, this is a call to each and every one of you. During the communion hymn and the final hymn, I want to see hymnals in everybody's hands. Even if you can't sing, I want you to at least try. Because you know what? I can't sing very well, and I try. You sing it because you're not just singing to God, you're singing to those around you. You're singing to those around you. You see, this is talking about the group effort to make melody in our hearts and to always have a heart of thanksgiving. When you go to these drunken parties, there's no thanksgiving there. They're thankful when another keg is tapped. They're thankful when somebody else falls down. They're thankful over stupid, foolish, sinful behavior. May these things never even be named amongst us. Let our homes and our church and our, even our little social gatherings on a sidewalk be drenched with the Holy Spirit. So that when unbelievers who need wisdom and who are desperately seeking wisdom, whether they know it or not, when they feel this Spirit-filled atmosphere, they will realize that they've been breathing pollution their whole lives and that they finally found oxygen. And may God give us the grace we need to become those type of men and women, those type of boys and girls, that type of church, that type of home, that type of families. Even that type of individual, even though this is talking about a group effort. You go to work, you deal with business associates, you go to school, anything. Go to a friend who's not saved, you have to be filled with the Spirit, completely alien and utterly foreign to the debauched, dissipated, disgusting, drunken, and drugged out world in which we live. A world filled with slogans and insanity. A world filled with shallowness that is mind-numbing. How shallow our culture is, how coarse our culture is. How, how, how incredulous our culture is that we believe the silliest things. You talk to wise, smart adults and you think, you believe that? Really? You went to school all those years and you've fallen for that lie? You've got the truth. And the truth is wisdom. 
May God give us the grace to live like that this week. Oh, Lord, our God, please have mercy upon us. Please forgive us for not always acting in full wisdom and grant us the grace we need to repent of these sins. In Jesus' holy name, amen.